Today's scripture reading is Exodus 3, 1 through 4. Exodus 3, 1-4 Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside the sea, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Good morning. Have you ever made a decision that impacted a large number of people that would cause them to make a great deal of sacrifice and bring about a great deal of change to their life? And then, after making that decision, somewhere down the road, beginning to have a little second-guessing going on about that decision, and worse yet, getting to a point down the road with that decision where you've kind of passed a point of no return, and there's no way to go back on the decision that's been made, and you realize, you know what, there's no way out of this, there's no way back, there's no way to undo this. This decision has been made, I've made this decision, and it's going to impact a whole lot of people, and I'm not so sure what I've done, and I'm not so sure if I should have maybe made a different decision. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It happened to me in March of 1991, a couple of months before we left for Kenya. Um... There have been years of planning, this trip, this move to Kenya. In 1985, I had the great opportunity of going to India in a World Bible School campaign that opened my eyes to a lot of things. In 1986, I went with a group from Ukaipa to Des Moines, Iowa. We did an evangelistic campaign. And it just really, it sort of fanned the flames and stirred my heart again toward missions. Uh, missions have been something I've been thinking about and wanting to do all of, just basically all my life. I was a missions major at Pepperdine, but when I got out of school, I became a preacher. And, and um, my dad, that's where it all started with me, because my dad, as an elder, just was always interested in missions. He was always the missions elder. When people would come in from out of the country, it would be my dad pick them up at the airport. We lived a couple of miles away. We had people staying in our house all my life. I loved, I just... I had a heart for that. That's what I wanted to do. And I went to the elders at Ukaipa and I said, you know, I just really feel like God is calling us to go out of the country to do something. I don't have any destination in mind. They thought about it and prayed about it and said, we'll be behind you. Let's see what the congregation thinks. At a congregational workshop that had been scheduled for us, uh, for other matters, the whole congregation was brought into the conversation. It was 100%... uh, backing behind it, which just goes to show you they'll do anything to get rid of a preacher. But but that's a whole other story. And so we started planning. We began to look for where are we going to go? We didn't even have a destination. Doors, one after the other, began opening up to Nairobi. It became clearer and clearer and clearer. This congregation, they started setting aside the fifth Sunday contributions into a mission account. They did that for five years until we finally went on the field, setting aside tens of thousands of dollars because they wanted to fund the mission. The elders said, if we're going to send you, then we're going to take care of you. 
as if they could just do everything all, all on their own with, with the help of God, of course, and they set that money aside. And now at this point, a container had been ordered. We had bought four one-way tickets to Nairobi. A preacher had been employed to take my place beginning in June. And then I just started to think. Like, what have I gotten myself into? And it real, I realized there, there's no way out of this. This is going to happen one way or the other. There is no gracious way at this point. After all that's been done, after all the sacrifice, after all the... There is just no way to graciously kind of back out. There been, I didn't mention two survey trips to Kenya that we took with one of the elders of the church. I mean, this thing was locked out and then all of a sudden it's like... I have no idea what I'm doing in Kenya. I've never, we've never lived outside of California. And we're going to move to a country and a culture and a language that we don't even know. And all those open doors that I'd seen on the months ahead, all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, maybe did, did I see that correctly? And uh, there was this moment of dread. And I remember thinking and saying to the Lord, I've been talking big for so long about missions and moving, and now you've pretty much called my bluff. I remember saying that to the Lord. You've called my bluff. I'm going. Here we are. Here we're coming. And uh, there was no stopping it. I wonder, did people in the Bible ever feel like that? I was wondering, did, did anybody that God called, because I had felt called, I really truly felt called, and like our family was saying, here we are, let's go, and the church said, let's do it. Everybody was ready. I wonder, did anybody ever have a similar experience in Scripture? Or was it just me? I thought about Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's just got a nice, quiet life. He's just got a nice, quiet life. And he's doing pretty well. And then God calls him. And of course he goes. He goes to the land that God will show him. And then he has an experience that's repeated by so many others in Scripture. His in Genesis chapter 22... Verse 1, it says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And I began to notice about this time that any time anybody in the Bible said, Here I am to God, they better watch out. Because when you say, Yes, God, I hear your call and I'm answering you, then, well, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Abraham was just having a nice, quiet life, and then he hears the call of God, and things start to happen that maybe he hadn't really thought were going to happen in his life. And I think about Samuel. Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel's just a kid, okay? He's just a kid. He's just a young boy. His mom had given him, you know, to the Lord, dedicated him to the Lord, born out of her years of barrenness, and now he's living at the tabernacle serving Eli the priest, and uh, one night, in the middle of the night, he hears his name called Samuel, Samuel. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 4. The Lord called Samuel, and, he said, and Samuel said, here I am. Well then, for Samuel, he thinks it's Eli calling him. You know, if you may know this story, he goes and rushes into Eli. What do you want? What do you want? And Eli said, what do you mean, what do I want? Well, you called? No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Well, three times God says, Samuel, Samuel, here I am, here I am. 
And each time he runs off to Eli, thinking it's Eli, and finally Eli figures it out, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3, and says to him, look, this is nothing but the Lord. The Lord's calling your name, and the next time you hear your name called, you are to answer, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And sure enough, the voice comes. Here I am. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And Samuel's life changes at that moment. He is called to be a prophet of God. And the first prophecy he gets is not a particularly good one for the man who's been raising him. It's a prophecy of judgment against Eli and his sons. But that nice, quiet life now just completely changes. And Andy read to us just a minute ago the story of Moses. He's fled Egypt. He's living a nice, quiet life. Thank you very much. Forty years as a shepherd. He's got kids. He's living there. He's got his in-laws. He's got a big his family. All the folks are there. Nice, quiet life. And then in Exodus chapter 3, he sees this bush. Now, I'm looking on and I'm saying, Moses, just keep on walking. Just keep on walking. You do not want... Just, there's nothing here for you to see. Just keep on walking. But not Moses. He turns aside to see what's going on with this bush. And an angel of the Lord appears to him there. And the Lord sees that he's turned aside. And it says in verse 4, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. The hook has been set, folks. There's no getting out of this one. He tries... I read this sometimes, well, at least he had enough sense to try to get out of it, right? He said, who am I to do this? Who are you to send me? I'm not all that eloquent. What if they don't believe me? Why don't you send someone else? So you should have never stopped to talk to that bush. You should have just kept on moving. You said, here I am. And once you say that, look out. A few weeks ago, we talked about Isaiah, who has this amazing vision of the Almighty Holy God in the temple, and the angels are singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah wants to die because he feels like such a sinner in the face of God, and God cleanses him with that coal. The angel brings the coal from the altar and touches his lips, and then he hears this sort of rhetorical question to the heavenly council, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And you know, his answer is, Here am I. Send me. And then he finds out that basically his life's work will be to harden the hearts of the children of Israel by preaching the word of God until God's judgment comes upon them. Or then, one more, how about Mary? John talked about Mary a few weeks ago. She just got a nice, quiet life. You notice there's a theme with all these people. They're just having a nice, quiet life. Everything is just going on fine. And then something happens in her life. She's living in Nazareth. She's a young lady, a teenager most likely. She's engaged. She's betrothed to Joseph in the same village of Nazareth. And she's got dreams about what her life are going to be. She's going to raise a family. She and Joseph are going to live in Nazareth. He'll continue his trade. It's going to be a good life. It's going to be a nice, easy, quiet, blessed life as they they are faithful to their God. And then in chapter 1, the angel appears and begins to say things like, Don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's only concern is how can this be because I'm a virgin and I haven't been with a man. I'm not married. And the the angel tells her you'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. So the child born of you will be called the Son of God. And then, of course, she famously replies in verse 38. Behold the bondslave of the Lord. Be it done to me, even as you have said. I wonder if she knew at the time what she was volunteering for. What she was signing up for. And so I read these stories in Scripture. And I don't know every thought that these people have, obviously. And some of their struggles for faith are recorded in Scripture. But one thing is certain. Each one of these people and the dozens of others like them throughout Scripture who in one way or another answer God's call faithfully are blessed beyond measure. They are blessed with such a fullness because they have come to know the living God. They trust Him. They believe His Word. They're obedient. They act on what God says to do. They live in fellowship with God. And in that, in accepting whatever it is that God calls them to do, they come into such an intimacy and a relationship with God that they know His nature, they know His power, and they know His presence in their lives. We remember these people because of their faith. They serve God's purposes Faithfully, They carry out their missions faithfully. And, and as they do so, it's not that they may not have had some struggle along the way, but as they do so and as their life unfolds, there are never regrets or second guessing. There are no second thoughts or doubts. In June of 1991, having dealt with my momentary crippling fears and doubts. Totally unshared by my wife, let me add. Totally unshared by my wife. We moved to Kenya. There was no getting out of it. Tickets were bought. I had no job. There's a new preacher, Mark Guy. Many of you know Mark. Mark Guy started preaching. I had to get out of town. And I can't begin to tell you how the next five years impacted our family for good and the church at Ukaipa. I know I probably bored so many of you with stories through the years because, and it's not comparing one church to another or one time in your life to another, but as you can understand, that that experience was like no other in our family's life. There, were, there was nothing else in our life like those five years. And those five years, I would say, shaped us and impacted us more than any other years of our lives, perhaps other than our childhood. I had no idea what we would experience, but it was nothing short of the blessing of God and seeing the power of God unfolding in so many ways. I remember how blessed we felt. We, we didn't know. 
We didn't know when we went there what we were going to be doing because of certain things that were happening there. We met Larry and Diane Stevens and Dennis and Mary O'Koth and were invited to join their team to plant that church in Comorock. We had no idea that's what we were going to be doing, but that's what we did. I remember our first Sunday. It was the first Sunday of January in 1992, and we realized that this little house we had rented in Comorock Housing Estate was already too small for the number of people who showed up. It was an amazing time together. It wasn't, it wasn't as if there were no problems or no struggles. And we had health issues in our problem. Many of you know how seriously ill our daughter was very near to death while we were there. It's not like everything just happened exactly like you would want. But there was just something about those years. And I think part of it had to do because it was, it was an act of faith more than anything else we'd ever done in our lives, and that the church had ever done. And there was such blessing. There was such absolute blessing. And I think of the hospitality of the Kenyan people. I think of all that we learned from the Kenyans. I think of the joys of teaching at Nairobi Great Commission School. And today, the blessing of seeing these guys that I taught over, was teaching them over 20 years ago. They're all over the country preaching the Word of God teaching at training schools themselves. It's just, it's an amazing time in our life. And I have to say, God, how in the world could I have ever doubted you? How in the world could I have ever doubted? These were, that you were opening those doors. I knew that. How in the world could I possibly doubt? I don't need to tell you that I'm no Abraham or Samuel. And I'm not trying to compare my place or experience in the kingdom of God with theirs. Not by any means. But the principles that are a part of what happened in their lives are continuing to be the principles that are a part of our lives and our experience in the kingdom. In that sense, there are great similarities. God has work to do. And what has God done from the beginning of time? God calls His people into His work. And God's people say yes. And we come in and we serve the living God. We take on the mission that God gives us. Wherever you see this in Scripture, you see it happening over and over again. God's people joining Him to do that. When we became Christians, every one of us, we were signing up for this duty. We were signing up to to say to God, God, here we are. Use us. We belong to You. We came to Jesus Christ and confessed our faith. He was the Son of God. We trusted in His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We were baptized and raised up, dead to self, alive to God, the Holy Spirit living within us. And what we were saying, we were volunteering to God and saying, You are our Lord. You are our Master. We submit our will, our lives, our plans, everything. We submit it to You. You lead us. You show us where to go to work. You call us into the kingdom. Why should it ever surprise us that He does? That He calls us. What else would we expect but God calling us into service in a way that will bring honor and glory to Him? He has always done this. And He has an agenda. The agenda of God is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to every person on this earth, to tell them of the saving grace that's available to them, of of who God is as their Father and Creator. And to see the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven until the day that Jesus comes back and makes it so. And that's our agenda. That's what we're caught up in. 
And our conversion essentially was volunteering to do that very thing. And here we are today, the Newland family. In some respects, up till a few months ago, it was a pretty quiet life. But the leaders of this congregation have been looking for God to provide direction for us for years. Seven, eight years ago, this journey started. Kind of how long it took us to get to Kenya, in a sense, as I compare it. And I know, going back to those early dates, that it wasn't that anybody here had an agenda. Nobody was just had some plans. We wanted God to give a rubber stamp of His approval. It was really about, God, what do you want us to do? We looked, we watched our congregation, all the, all the leaders, all the elders that have been here through the last seven or eight years, looking at our situation, looking at our community, looking at sometimes at our ineffectiveness and, and just kind of who we are and what our, our status and what's going on, and praying to God and asking God for direction and being devoted in prayer, asking God, please defeat us in this if it's not the direction, open up the doors if it is, and talking to the congregation, getting feedback from you. All of that was going on. Because we long to hear the call of God for us as a congregation, specifically as it relates to our condition and our opportunities. And I believe with all of my heart that we have heard. And in response to that, we've sold our building. And we're preparing to move. And we are on the brink of an unknown future. So have you ever made a decision that involved a large group of people that was going to require great sacrifice on their part and bring about great changes in their lives? And then begin to wonder about that decision. And maybe over time you get to that point where you've reached the point of no return. Where there's no way out, where there's no way back, where it can't be undone, no matter what you would like to do about it. Last Saturday morning, January 11th, 5.45 a.m., I was driving down Beach Boulevard, going to the swap meet. My wife was out of town. She's up at her sister's. If she had been here, I would probably have never had this experience. So I I pretty much blame her for this. Uh, (laughs) She's always the one pulling me out of the fire when I start to, like, go up in flames of doubt. Uh, But I'm driving down Beach Boulevard, and it hits me that escrow just closed on Wednesday. We don't have a church building We do not own this building. We are tenants who have been graciously given 45 days of free rent before we have to get every single thing out of this building that we want to hold on to or vacate the building, as I've heard. (laughs) That's a Wednesday night joke. Um, By then, by that Saturday morning, the clock had been ticking. There were only 42 days left. Not that anybody was counting. 
And at that particular point in time, we had no idea, we still have no idea where we would ultimately move. At that particular time, we weren't even sure where we were going to be on a temporary basis. And it just struck me, I had just crossed hazard, which should have been an omen. Hazard, think about that. I know some people live right off of That's a whole different thing. But I cross hazard, and then I think, uh, we can't... We can't go back and say, never mind, we decided to keep our building. This is going to happen. And it's not just that it's going to happen, but if you're one who's kind of made the decision that it's going to happen, it kind of weighs on you. And so I immediately started talking to God. Immediately. What I'm about to tell you here all happened in probably 10 seconds total, this whole story. But you know me, I can turn it into 15 minutes. <laughs> so I start praying. I say, God, what, what's going on here? I, I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm calling out to God for some help here. You know, like, get me, I feel like I'm kind of drowning here. You know, there's not Ellen around to give me an elbow in the ribs or something. And, and um, I, it's, as if, it's as if I feel the hand of God. But it's not a reassuring pat on the shoulder. It's a slap in the face. And he's saying, what are you doing? Snap out of it. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? I can't believe this. And in an instant, in a moment, truly, I'm ta- you know how things happen in your mind. How like a lot can happen in three seconds in your mind. And in my mind, it was like this burst of information and spiritual truth and memory all at once. And I just started laughing. I started laughing out loud, driving down Beach Boulevard at 5.45 a.m. I don't normally laugh this early in the morning. It usually takes me at least till 8. But I'm laughing, and I'm laughing out loud. I mean, I'm laughing loud. And I was thinking, I'm thinking, this must really inspire your confidence in your leaders uh, to tell stories like this. Uh, And I, I repent even as I tell it. But in that moment... Something became so clear to me. Because just as I cried out to God, the thought came into my mind, I've only felt like this one other time in my life. I've already told you that story. And I said, God, how did that one turn out? How did that one turn out? And so I'm repenting, I'm confessing. Uh you know, to my, my momentary downward spiral. I've been rebuked by the Lord. It's as if he's saying, Richard, how many times, buddy? How many times do I have to prove myself to you? How many times do you need to read through the script? How many times do you need to look at your own life and see how faithful I am? And when I open a door, you go through it and I'm going to bless it. Do you not realize I've orchestrated this whole thing over the last seven or eight years? What's taking you guys so long? You know, I mean, I'm hearing all of that in this flash. this just this glimpse, this moment to me. And then I'm feeling his encouragement and his promise. And my confession is kind of intermingled with my laughter. Because my laughter is one of being overwhelmed with absolute spiritual joy at the power and the presence and the promises of God. And I am overwhelmed. I have never, I have never, other than that moment, had that particular reaction or feeling about anything in my life. 
I know that doesn't change your life, but it sure impacted mine because it just brought me back to God. And I thought, God, you're so gracious to work with me. How do you put up with a guy like me? I don't know how you're feeling about things. I don't know how you're feeling about the fact that we don't own a church building anymore or that we, don't, we have no idea where we're moving. We do know where we're staying on the interim. We'll talk a lot about that tonight and give you kind of the, the, the rationale for all of that. I don't know how you're feeling about that. And let me just say this. Selling a church building and purchasing another, I mean, come on. This does not rise up to the level of Genesis 22 or Exodus 3 or Luke chapter 1 or first this is on a scale of being called by God and stepping into the unknown come on this is this is pretty low on the list isn't it but at the same time it's what's happening to us now and it may be hitting you emotionally in one way or another and it may not we talked a few weeks ago about how some people cheered at the, at the second temple while some people wept because it was nothing like the first. I don't know where you are, what, how you may be feeling about this, and I know that it doesn't rise to the kind of level that we're reading about in Scripture, but it is unknown to us. The future is unknown, and we are making a decision based on faith. I love this quote of Corey Ten Boom, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And if there's one thing we know, it is the faithfulness of God. And His faithfulness should extinguish every doubt and every fear that could possibly raise itself among us. And let me just say, this isn't just about a location. This isn't just about a new building. It is about a group of people looking to God for direction for the future. Only part of this has to do with the building. That's a stewardship issue. That's just a stewardship issue about the best use of our resources and how they can be unleashed in the kingdom. But this is about a group of people The shepherds going before who were saying, God, we need you to remake us. We need you to renew us. We need to be new. We don't just look for a new place to stay. We want to be revived. We want to be renewed. We want to become better equipped in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We want you to place us somewhere, according to your will, where we, through our devotion and our commitment and ministry, can see by your grace and power the kingdom of God coming on this earth so that the kingdom comes into the lives of people and they're changed forever and have the hope of eternal life within them. This isn't just about finding a building. This is about renewal in our mission and in our commitment to God and in striking out in faith. And and, and at this point, leaving and going into the unknown in terms of our building facility is at least in a smaller sense a first step in that act of faith. But it's got to be followed up with our understanding that we want God to open up a future before us. And we want to step into it. We want, we want to be devoted to what he calls us to do. We want to look for better and better ways of reaching people, of blessing people, of reaching out to the community, of blessing the poor, of finding those who are hungering for God. 
and devote ourselves to serving him. That's what this is about. It's not just about a place. That, that's nothing. That, that, that's, just, that's such a minor part of this. It looms large because of the uncertainty it creates for us. But the, the, the vision, the goal, the aim is God shape us into a people who glorify you by serving you and the people around us to the point that your agenda is carried out, that the gospel of Christ is preached, lost souls are brought into the kingdom, and you are glorified in this world. And God will not be unfaithful to the task that he calls us to. He will be with us. That's what comes before us. And we call upon God to renew us, to help each of us, and to help us together to rededicate ourselves and to renew our passion for his kingdom. He has a plan. Let's step into it with confidence, with assurance, in faith. In faith that he will bring us through and that he will be glorified. And so we say, here we are. Here I am. Here we are. Lord, speak because your servants are listening, and we will obey you, and we will trust you. We will do our best to serve you in a way that glorifies you. May God lead us forward as a family into that future in a way that honors him and exalts the name of Christ in the world. If you're not a part of that kind of life, if you've never come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, trusting in His blood on the cross for your forgiveness and salvation, so you can be reconciled to the Father, back to your God and Creator, who longs to have that relationship with you, come to Him today. Confess your faith in Jesus. You can die with Christ in baptism, be raised up with newness of life, the Spirit of God living in you, journey with us. I'll tell you what, it's not a nice, quiet life. It's an awesome, exciting, spirit-filled life that centers on glorifying God and reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we invite you to become part of that, even as you're reconciled to the God who created you and have within you now the hope of eternal life. Church, he's got this. He's got it. Just be faithful. Trust. Be faithful. Every step of the way, He's there. He'll lead us. And I just look forward with such anticipation to these coming weeks. A lot of hard physical work as well as emotional work these next few weeks. But God, God is in the lead. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Stand as we sing.